FMX Network Production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continuing gracious support of our sponsors, we're thriving at over 1,800 podcasts delivered with over 20 million downloads. Click the Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's the voice bringing it all to you, Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Craig Dack. Thank you to folks at Fly Racing, man. Whether it's uh, Justin Brayton in the World Supercross Round, Shane McElrath, Chiz, Hampshire, Talon Hawkins, a lot of guys running fly and looking good in it. And uh, the kinetic mesh is simply the best stuff going right now as the temperatures heat up. Super lightweight, super vented, and uh, has flex, uh, flex panels in all the right spots. And the Formula Helmet, you've got to check it out. You've got to read up about it. Super comfy. Safe, uh, uh, quiet, great design, uh, looks really good. Yeah, flyracing.com, man. Thank you. Thanks to those guys. Uh, and uh, whether it's head to toe, they've got you covered. They got goggles, they got boots, they got gear, they got that great helmet, and they got an off road line of gear as well called the Patrol Stuff. So please check out Fly Racing for all of your needs. They've taken it to the next level. And of course, uh, Maxis as well. Maxis tires used by McGrath and A Ray. Never thought you'd see those two names in the same sentence, right? A new front tires coming from those guys. I'm going to get get it on Kiefer's bike and get him to try it ASAP. Great mountain bike tires, light truck tires. UTV tires are amazing. I'm not a UTV guy, but I guess they're really, really good. Maxis.com for more information on that and support them. They support uh, a number of uh, industry podcasts. And, uh, yeah, great guys at Maxis. So think about them the next time you need a tire for really, well, anything. Renthal, Monster Energy Kawasaki, Red Bull KTM, Factory Honda using Renthal bars, Sprockets, grips, right? Uh, when you look at when you think of Renthal, you know the name, you know the quality they have over there, made over in the UK, and uh, to the tightest of tolerances and the tightest and highest and best quality. They got a dealer locator on their website. They got a bar bend comparison on their website as well. So please check uh, Renthal.com for more information. And yeah, the chains, the sprockets, the grips, all of it, top level stuff, just like their bars. And from their bars, they got you covered any which way you want to do it. Uh, Thank you to Cobalt Links and Motorsport. We'll tell you more about them later on in the show. Craig Dack, uh, really, really nice to talk to Dacker. I, I'd known him since the Yamaha Troy days when he was managing that effort. Uh, I was working for Nick Way at Moto Triple X, and then he stayed another year, and um, I uh, was working at Yamaha. So we were at the Yamaha test track a lot, uh, crossing paths at that time at the races as well. Always super nice guy, uh, really, really cool. Never seemed like, you know, hey, I was super fast and I'm Craig Dack and this is how you should do it. Uh, really humble, really nice guy, uh, always. And I saw him at the World Supercrosses, said hi to him, talked to him for a little bit. Just designations, just passing here and there. I did a podcast with Jeff Leesk years ago. Um, Search the, uh, the Google for that. 
And it was nice to catch up with Dak, who uh, is on that same level of Australian motocross legends, and he's certainly done a lot. And now, you know, with the race team over the years, we, we, you all know CDR Racing, right? So uh, cool to talk to Dak, and I really appreciate the time. Glad we caught up, and, and I, got, I got to chronicle this kind of stuff and talk to him about his career and World Supercross and uh, Australian motocross and much more, man. Uh, I got to get down there at some point, see everybody. I'll do it. I want to. Um, maybe the World Supercross at some point. So thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks to our sponsors. Uh, thank you, you guys. Downloads are great. And um, most of all, thanks to Craig Dak for the time. And now, as promised, uh, Australian motocross royalty uh, on the line. A, a gentleman that I've known for a while, met him back in the YOT days, and then I've uh, seen him here and there over the years. And, uh, again, Australian motocross legend, Craig Dak. What's up, Dacker? How are you, man? Good, thank you. What an introduction. Thank you, and it's, it's nice to talk to you. And uh, as I said, you're off air. It's nice to keep in touch with the rest of the world every now and then. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I appreciate the time. I know you're super busy. CDR racing, uh, wide open as usual. So uh, I have a lot of questions to get to you. Uh, first of all, I guess let's start with this. Uh, you have had a legendary team down under. You've won a bunch of championships. You've had some really great riders ride for you from, from Reedy to Coppins to Clout and, and Tanti and all these guys. How's it going? How's how's team ownership life down under? What uh, what's going on with it? How has it changed? What's the obstacles you face, and so on and so forth? Yeah, it it, it, it sort of it gets like a, a nice bottle of red wine. It gets better every year, I think, because <laughs> nice. um, yeah, it's, we're actually celebrating our thirtieth year with CDR this year. I retired as a racer at the end of nineteen ninety two, and then then sort of that morphed into team ownership and team managership into CDR. So 30 years has gone by so quick. Um, but And I have a lot of people from time to time will ask me, you know, might see me at a race meeting, they haven't seen me for several years or, or, or a decade, and they'll say, oh, you're still doing this, do you still love it? And I, and I, I love every minute of it. It gets better every year. Uh, the commercial side of things gets more and more um, intense, I guess, trying to raise the money that you need to go mm-hmm. racing where costs keep escalating um, um, and 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 finding money is much harder than it was back in the day. Um, you know, when I first started running this team, you you know you'd get twenty bucks for a sticker on your bike. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a lot more than that now. Uh, you have to do the social media stuff. You have to get involved in activations. Uh, so the complexity of raising the money needed is much more. Plus. Plus these companies, whether it's a, uh, a Monster or a Coca-Cola or whoever it may be, mm-hmm. have so many different more ways they can spend their money now. So instead of giving one entity one chunk of money, they can spread that money a- a- around a lot more. So the commercial side of it is something that you have to keep learning all the time. Uh, and also then the technical side of things, the sporting side of the team with yeah. you know um, um, generation with, with young Male athletes, you know, they, they, people change over time, you know, just the way they think and how you have to conduct yourself is a lot different than back in the day. Yeah, probably, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then the bikes get more technical, and, uh, and, that's, and that's really good fun too. So it's, it, it keeps you interested time, Steve. Now, have you always been Yamaha since you started? I know you rode and raced for Yamaha for a number of years. Were you, have you a CDR always been Yamaha? CDR's always been Yamaha. Wow. I ran away from home in 1986, 1987. I rode for Honda. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's when I pr- pretty much I started with Suzuki as a kid, then went to Yamaha, 
And then Honda had a pretty strong program in Australia in the mid-'80s. So I sort of took over Jeff Lee's ride. Yep. Uh, when Jeff first came to America in 1986, who he was winning everything here in Australia on a Honda. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he went to the US uh, for Honda, and then I took over his ride for 86, 87. Uh, and then after that, I ended up back at Yamaha from 1988 till, till now. Wow, 30 years uh, with Yamaha. That's that's maybe more impressive than all the well, championships. Well, 30 years as a team. Yeah, as a team. Yeah, 30 yeah. years with Yamaha yeah. as a team and then, then years before that as a racer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty cool uh, for sure. It's, they're a great organ OEM. They're a great bike. So I imagine the support's been there for, for a long time. Now, talking to a couple – obviously, I'm Canadian, and uh, the Canadian Nationals really hurt from covid and shutting them down, the Canadian government took it pretty seriously. I understand the Australian government was the same way. The series was kind of the same way. And a couple Australians I talked to are like, yeah, man, it's it, it's never come back yet all the way to where it was pre-COVID levels, uh, support, rides, money, scheduling, that kind of stuff. Um, is is that accurate, would you say? Sort of. I mean, we, 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 yeah, we, we got locked down pretty strongly in Australia mm-hmm. for – I think we had three or four lockdowns and one was for several months. Uh, but but the Australian government supported uh, small business and people quite well. So without the government support, mm-hmm. a lot of our a lot of businesses would have went under. But yep. they were they were propped up by by the government. So Australia did a really good job like that. However, the sad thing about it is with a lot of athletes, including Aaron Tanti and Luke Clout. They, they were sort of right in the prime of their career, you know, about that 25-year mm-hmm. age. That's when you – I believe that's when around that 24, 25, 23 is about when you physically mature as a, as a man mm-hmm. and you've got a bit of smarts about you. So they missed out on those, those couple of years um, and we didn't hardly race at all in, in 18 months. It's, it's, got, it's getting back on track now. Okay. I think the money's yep. back there, the – the 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 sport is starting to thrive again, um, so yeah, we're we're back in town. Okay, yeah, so things are looking up. That's good. I don't Canadian Canadian guys are still ah, they just they lost a couple of big sponsorship for the series itself, and and a couple of teams left, and they're still struggling to get back to where they were. So let's hope that it does. You know, cause yeah, Australia. How, how many motocross rounds do they have in Canada? Uh, nine. Nine, yeah, about the same as Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then uh, you guys have, of course, the Supercross series as well that uh, we've seen JB go down to, and that looks like it's been a successful thing for you guys as well. That that probably Supercross has struggled more than motocross. Yeah, you know, okay. uh, recovering and coming back, and then we've had sort of the guys that were uh, the commercial rights holder to the Supercross in Australia, Adam Bailey and mm-hmm. his crew. Uh, I've also got a major interest in the World Supercross, so there's been a. It's been a messy few years, but I feel that we're, we're all the balls are starting to sort of drop on the ground now. Yep. We can sort of take off. You yeah. Know? How much? Uh, how much do you talk to? Obviously, Rinaldi still has a, a hand in the uh, Yamaha MXGP efforts over there. They, they're long partners, and, and of course, Star Racing, and before that, the factory team with McCarty and those guys. How much do you lean on them, pick their brains, uh, know what they're doing, know what to do to your bikes? How much information is shared, and all of that? Very surprisingly, very little. So, you know, I was in the States. I went to the San Diego Supercross yep. earlier in the year yep. uh, for the launch of the new sort of monster Yamaha collaboration mm-hmm. look. And, um, you know, I hung out with all the Yamaha guys there. I met a few of the sales guys and marketing people that I hadn't met before. 
all the racing guys I know quite well. Jim yeah. Roach, we, we we talk, you know, from time to time, just just talk, just to communicate. Yep. Uh, Rinaldi um, and CDR and myself are really good friends. Uh, we used to have a lot more to do with McKayley when he was actually in the front line of yep. Yamaha Racing. Yep. But as you probably know, it's it's quite a lot different now. So they've got Wilvo that, yep. that heads it up as the race team. And then Rinaldi comes underneath that as the technical support. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does most of the development, both engine and suspension chassis. Right. Um, and so I think McKaylee is very, very well uh, linked to Yamaha Japan. So sure. I think that that's the little triangle there, sort of mm-hmm. Wilvo, Rinaldi, Yamaha Japan. So if you have an issue, though, you can fire off an email and, and be like, hey, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, and, and there's some sort yeah. of support for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, there's no problem there. We we can all share information openly and honestly, and trust one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be as it's developed, Steve. Over the years, you know, you've got the Rinaldi slash European program, you've got the the American slash Star, and then you have CDR in Australia. Mm-hmm. They're the three seem to be the three profile sort of Yamaha motocross supercross racing teams, and they're kind of recognised by Japan. So. It's it's a feather in my cap to be so far away in a small country. Yeah. Um, and we we, we, we pack up quite a big punch for the for the size of what we do and just to be part of those those other two those other sort of influences is, is quite nice. What are you hearing from your technicians, riders on the twenty three YZ four fifty F? It's a quite a radical bike to change for those guys. Uh, they had such a great platform and they really took it away and they didn't throw it in the garbage, but it's certainly a different bike. Uh, what, uh, what's your early thoughts on it? So, so far, re- really positive. It took, it, to be honest, it took us, even though the geometry is roughly the same mm-hmm. uh, as the previous model, but the way it's skinnier, it's flatter, the ergonomics is different, you know, chassis is different, of course, and stuff like that. So it took a little while for the riders and us to get a direction with the suspension. Mm-hmm. The engine was, was easy. The engine's, like, strong enough as it is on most 450s now anyway. But the Yamaha engine being the reverse engine is, is really, really strong. Um, but it just took a while to find a direction with the suspension. Uh, we've got that now, and it's it's all positive. There's no nothing major negative has come up, just little talks, really. Are you uh, are you required by Yamaha to run 250 and 450? Can you do one or the other? Can you is it or is it a contract that like we want you to run both programs? I don't know how it is down no, there. No, so now just apart from the World Supercross where we have to have two 250 guys and two 450 guys. Yep. Uh, the Australian program is just 450. Okay. Um, they 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 contract the 250 program out to Serco Yamaha. Got it. Um, because Serco is an importation distribution company with uh, motorcycle accessories, uh, a little bit like how Yamaha or Troy was back in the day. Sure. They yep. they can bring a fair bit of funding to it. So it's more of a uh, it because things just got so costly over the years. We used to do two 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 fifty two stroke guys and one one two five two stroke guy. That right. seemed to be kind of the normal back then, how you would structure things. Uh-huh. But then once the sort of uh, the bikes became four-stroke, um, you know, the costs got bigger. Then, then you know, Yamaha wanted two 250 guys or two mm-hmm. 125 guys, not just the one. And it was it, it made more sense cost-wise to split it in half and have us focus on the main class yep. and then have Serco do the 250. So you're a little bit like Mitch Payton. Uh, you don't make aftermarket pipes and things like that, but you are a private team owner, you know, racing a series, trying to turn a profit. 
uh, you know, to keep yourself and your family going and all that. How is that? And without, you know, you don't have to show us your bank statement, Dacker, but like, how's it yeah. been going? How's that? Is that, are you able to do that? Uh, obviously for 30 years you are, but like, has that been a, a successful venture for you? Yeah, it has only because, you know, if, if you tried to start, you know, I guess a race team up now, uh, or if I tried to start a race team up now to mm-hmm. get to the level that we're at, you'd you'd never be able to do it. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to justify it unless you unless you're a mega rich guy and you just did it for a bit of fun. And there there are a few of those type of teams around these days, you know, around yeah. the world. That, yep. You know, the rich guy's made all his money. He's passionate about motocross, and he comes and he doesn't really care about that. He, he's just <laughs> yeah. doing it. For fun, um, but because and and if we weren't a factory supported team, you'd you'd have no hope. But because I pretty much I own everything now, and everything's been set up for a long time, yep. it ticks over nice. And and like anything, I've got other interest outside of the race team itself with investments and other things. Mm-hmm. But it's look, no one ever gets super rich out of running a race team because you just your eyes are bigger than your belly. <laughs> meaning, sure, yeah. Meaning, you know, should we buy that extra shock for another fifteen grand? Oh no, we need two of them. Okay, let's get them, and then, <laughs> but straight away you start to lose your profit, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But but the main thing is, mate. It's um, like I say to a lot of my friends, it feels like I've never worked a day in my life, and I'm privileged to be still here thirty years later yeah. and won over fifty odd championships in that time as a team. And still very happy doing it. Yeah, I bet. It sounds sounds great. Uh, Fly Racing Racewrecks podcast with Craig Dack. Uh, the World Supercross, you, you field riders in that team. Obviously, Adam Bailey's a friend of yours, and you've probably known him for a long time. What appealed to you about doing this series and signing up uh, for it? What, uh, what, I mean, as if you weren't busy enough, what, uh, what did you like about it? There's a few things, Steve. It was, it, it, I mean, the concept of doing like a – an international program where you, you put everything that you've got into sort of three or four containers or boxes and that gets freighted to different corners of the world and you fly over there and turn up at a venue that you've never been to in a foreign country and, mm-hmm. you know, unpack your crate and then deal with all the sort of complexities of being outside your comfort zone of your own country. And and, it, and being a world championship, It I just – and, and that was that was the sort of the first and to compete in a world championship. That mm-hmm. was the first thing that sort of appealed to me. Then when we sort of got the the contracts or the agreements and looked at it all, the way it's structured is sort of the contemporary way. Um, you know, sport should be run now, like you know, uh, like a franchise where each team yep, yep. is a license holder. Uh, there's only 10 teams in, in the series. There can't be a, an 11th team. If you wanted to come in, you have to obtain one of the current licenses. Yep. Um, so it all it all sort of made sense. However, in saying that, um, it, it, it hasn't been as easy for those guys. Well, I don't think they thought it was going to be easy, but it hasn't gone as smooth as they thought. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, some good, some bad. Um, and I think... You know, it, there's a lot of political part to it as well. Um, you know, may, maybe the US see, saw this at the beginning or maybe sees it as a bit of a threat to what they're doing. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it this needs a little time. A lot of the partners and people that I'm negotiating with and, and talking with are interested and like it and, and you know, not, not 
you know, bagging it or against it. But there's very much a we want to wait and see what happens down the track. We sure. need to see how yeah. far this can go. You know. Well, I've uh, I've said this a few times. Uh, thanks to Adam Bailey, the Feld guys in the MX Sports guys over here started talking and got together and uh, threw a bunch of money in the purse and created these races. Thank you, Adam Bailey, for this. <laughs> there is that component to it too, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I totally. Believe, totally. I yep. believe that this was sort of this, um, you know, your super motocross concept has been in the pipeline for a little while. But what's happened with Bailey coming in and, and, and doing what they're doing yeah. is maybe just uh, sped things up a bit. Yeah, no, absolutely, right? I think it was a little bit in the works, but I think, yeah, nothing like some competition to uh, to tighten things up. It makes everybody a little better, right? Um, and I think I think as time goes on and, and, and the dust settles, I think, I think we'll see, and I'm only surmising here, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think once the dust settles, people can calm down and we, we can all maybe coexist in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that, like America's America, you're never going to outdo the states no. of what they yeah. do, of course. You know, that's, I mean, Supercross is as, as traditional for Americans as gridiron and uh, basketball, you know, yeah. baseball. Yeah. You know, it's or your, your, your rugby or your rugby or whatever. Yeah. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's great. You've been all over the world racing and as a team owner, and I think when Adam says that the rest of the world wants to see these, this great sport and these riders – uh, he's absolutely correct because I've gone to Paris and Bercy and, and you know Geneva and all over the world to watch races and the fans love it and there's a market there and yeah I, why not you know what I mean uh, so Adam's essential part of starting this obviously he wants to make money that that, that goes with us seeing but Adam's essentially starting this so to bring Supercross to the world I believe there is an audience you know. And there's little pockets of the world, mate. When 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 they started doing their analytics or or their their research on certain countries, and which they've done a hell of a lot of, um, th- there's little pockets of the world like your South Americas, your Argentinas, and Brazils, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Asia is a market that 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 is becoming huge. India, for example, because. A lot of those countries like Asia, India, that were, you know, in our in our lifetime have once been third world countries, and now a lot of those countries are becoming, there is a strong middle class there. So middle class people like to buy TVs and like to buy motorbikes. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, our industry is driven by middle class people, right? Yeah. So, so getting to a few of those markets that are sort of, yeah, MotoGP now has five or so, four or five races in Asia where it never used to go there before. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some markets around the world that that are begging for for this sort of stuff, and time will tell. But there seems to it it, it seems to make sense to me. But we yeah. just need to grind away for another couple of years until it settles. Down. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll find its footing. Right, the water will find yep. its level, and uh, and we'll get to being what it was. I went to the opening round in uh, UK last year, and. You know, it sounds like from one round to the next, they made a lot of tweaks and they made it better. And, and yeah, that's what will happen, right? Uh, Supercross has a 40-year start on those guys, 40-year head start on those guys. So Correct, exactly. What? Mm. Uh, who are you fielding for it? I don't know if we can break news or if you're not ready to say. I, I don't know. Let me know. No, I'm right on the verge of that right now, mate. Okay. It's been very, very late for me. Uh, we're still talking with Yamaha Japan uh, because that's the other complexity. Obviously, you know, running a race team in a, a certain country, well, you deal directly with that country's people, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah. my budget comes from Yamaha marketing, Yamaha Australian marketing. 
Um, you know, my Fox deal is done not with, with head office in the US, it's done with the people here in Australia. Yep. But when you go international, you, you have to go to the, 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 the manufacturer, you yep. know. Yep. yep. And being Japanese, it, that's taking a little bit more time than I'd like, but moving along very positively. Um, so I'm pretty close. I, I'd like to, I certainly would love to keep, you know, we've been talking to Josh Hill. He's a friend of CDR, a mm-hmm. strong friend. And he's a strong Yamaha guy. He has been for years. He's a he's a monster guy. He's a fox guy. Mm-hmm. So that all makes sense. Um, and he's a good guy. And he's been having some pretty good rides over there. Top ten sort of rides. Recently. He's crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then certainly part of my ethos with this whole with this whole program is is to always try and have some Australian riders, uh, as many Australian riders as I could on the team, because mm-hmm. not only is it. Um, it's something I want to do, but it's a nice message to our younger kids in Australia that, hey guys, um, you know, if you if you put your head down here in Australia and end up on a, a whether it's a Konski team or a DAC team, you know, there is a step even further mm-hmm. to, for the international stage. So we're certainly looking like Aaron Tanti and Luke Clout will do this year's series as well. Um, so that's three riders, and we're just trying to work out who the fourth one's going to be. Did I? Uh, is it a pretty big name? Or am I l- no, okay. no, okay. no, right. no, okay. no, 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 I know what you mean by yeah. that too. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, that's yeah, just that's the, the, the rumor mill. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there has been all sorts of discussions with all sorts of things. Yep. Um, uh, but but no, not, not, not this year, no. Uh, should be interesting to see what you do for sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I like Adam and those guys, and I applaud them doing it. Um, I don't know why everybody's got to take a side here. Everything can coexist, you know, and, and all of that. Yep. Let me ask you something, though, uh, and you can put on your political hat and, or you could just, yeah, just to speak your mind or whatever you think. So I kind of heard, and it wasn't you, obviously, uh, but I've heard a couple of teams. I've talked to a couple of riders that, over here in the U.S. that are talking to some teams, and, like, these guys are privateers, and they're just like, dude, the deal sucks. Like, one rider I talked to said the team said you get half the purse money. And that's it. Mm. When we'll pay your travel because the purse money is paid to the teams. And uh, and another rider's like, yeah, I, I got offered, you know, purse minus 10%. And, like, they don't want to go. And, and it's crazy because they're starting to get lower and lower on the speed totem pole to get guys. And, and, and on my show last week, I kind of said, well, hey, man, like, these teams, you know, they're, 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 they're getting a lot of money from the World Supercross guys for travel and for salaries and all of that. And there's a tiered structure, you know, it goes down year to year, and, and, I, and, and I get all that. But at some point, like if I'm Adam, the WSX guys, I'm like saying, hey, man, you, you guys can make some money on this, but you can't just, you know, take all the money. Hire some riders. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's going to – I think for 2023, we're going to see a big gap from the front to the – to the to the lower end guys, so I don't know, Craig. I don't know how you feel about that. I agree. No, I agree. I agree with all that, and 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 I and I'm in the same boat. I, I'm I'm so the prize money comes directly to the teams, and then how you distribute that money back to the rider is a point of negotiation. Sure. Right. Yeah. So so because I would imagine the teams are trying to withhold some of that that money or keep a percentage because they need to get money back through the budget. Right. So. I'm probably in the most difficult situation than every other team because of how far away I am. So we're yeah. we're flying from Australia to Germany, Australia to to France, blah blah blah. Yep. So pretty much those teams in in Europe 
their costs of one-tenth of our costs mm-hmm. in, in travel, basically. Uh, and the American teams are probably half of our costs. So, right, so this is the problem that we've got at the moment is, and I, I, I had these discussions just recently, Very, I've had, uh, apart from Monster, that that you know they're a friend of CDR and there's some support with World Series Supercross, mm-hmm. but and we had some other outside industry partners talking to us and say Fox Clothing, for yep. instance. All our partners are all very much yes, yes. We like we like it. It looks good. All mm-hmm. the facts and stats look great on paper, but we just want to wait and see. We need to see how this is going to go. Sure. So that's the problem that we've got. The the money we're getting off World Supercross isn't enough to do it without finding funding outside of that. So we still have to find yep. quite a little bit of quite a bit of money uh, because you know you you're moving four riders, four mechanics and some other technical people. So you're moving up to 14 people around the world. So travel in itself, feeding people, uh, putting them in accommodation, flights, it's all very expensive. So yeah. I, I would think all the other teams are very similar to us. Mm-hmm. Um is that they're struggling to make ends meet at the moment. And this year was always going to be our most difficult year, I felt, because we had some funding last year that was enough to sort of get us going, like some startup money, right? Yeah. But this year, there is quite a big gap between what you get from World Series and what you need. Yep. And tr- and we 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 have to try and survive this year to prove the product to the industry and outside the industry. And then hopefully 2024, we start to make some leadway. Yeah. All right. Yeah, fair enough. And then on the flip side, how do you feel about, you know, fielding some riders and showing up and then the World Supercross guys uh, pay Kenny uh, to do the series and they pay Eli to do the series at the first round? And are you a little bit like WTF or, or you know, the, the Adam and the guys will tell you, look, this – this gets eyeballs. This gets attention. This gets uh, uh, people talking about our stuff when they have literally two of the best riders in the world here. Uh, so I see both sides. But how do you feel as an owner? Like you, I see both sides. Yep. So if, if if I was the one that you know they were able to you know help fund to get a top name rider and end up on my team, I'd be happy with that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. However, then on the other side of that, if if um, you know, another team gets a, a Ken Roxon or another rider and, and, and straight away we're, we're behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. The only way I can look at that, mate, is basically it's a startup um, It's a startup sport. It's a startup business. So maybe there's a couple of years where we have to eat humble pie and, and get it recognized mm-hmm. and get it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't want to see that happen long term because that won't legitimize a true world championship, will it? So, yeah, yep. So at the moment, I guess I'm willing to d- discop it um, if it's if it's in the best interests of of the series. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you know, down the road, WSX is telling team owners, "Hey, you can sell your franchise down the road if if you know, you know if you've been in it for a while and you want to get out, and and we'll make this thing more valuable for you by perhaps bringing in some good riders and and raising the value of the series, and it helps you in the in the back end of long long. You time, would hope you know? so, yeah. yeah. And and, right. and so it's it's an interesting process. It's been a it's been very hot and cold for me and probably for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, over the last 18 months to two years. It's because it's new and it's such a big deal. I mean, you know, every every country you go to, you have to have different visas. Then there's different withholding taxes in each country when riders make prize money. So, yeah. you know, you, you're dealing with a whole different beast when you start to leave your own shores. Just you, 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 your comfort level goes out the window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um 
Let's talk a little bit about Australian motocross if we can. I want to talk about Reedy and uh, and your time at Yamaha, Troy. But first off, uh, Hunter Lawrence clinching the uh, Supercross title this past weekend and Jet on his way to maybe being an all-timer. Um, did you see it coming from the brothers and, and Dazzy back in the day? Uh, did you have much interaction with them uh, or before they left? Not really. No? no? No, no. I've had a little bit to do with their dad and, and I've met Hunter once. I've never met. Oh, yeah, I met Jet just briefly at uh, Melbourne Supercross a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Yep. But but they did. They did. Uh, there was a period there where they popped through the Yamaha Australia um, amateur program. I guess they were getting some sort of amateur support. Um I'm, I'm not, and I wasn't fully aware of them then. But mm-hmm. they kind of left left our shores fairly early. They took off and uh, very early in the piece. They were only young boys when they they yeah. left Australia, and, and you know, as you know, they went to Europe and and yeah. you know sharpened their honed their skills there, I guess, uh, right. before eventually heading to the US. But I've had very little to do with them. But obviously, I'm a proud Australian. Yeah, it's yeah. stoked to see what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's great to see you had. Yourself and Jeff, you know, uh, coming up in the 80s and, and repping well at, at different international events and then went into uh, Chad and Burner and Metcalf. Metty's still racing, for God's sake. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a little bit of a lull. And then, uh, you know, obviously Craig Anderson and, and a few other guys popped up here and there, Reardon. And now you have the Lawrence brothers. It's it's a nice, like, 30-year run of Australian motocross being well represented on the uh, on the world stage here. Well, it's it's nice, and it's it's funny when you look at the um, the whole US. Yeah, US is the the center of motocross, supercross around the world. I don't care what anybody says; it's where yeah. that's where it's at. That's where the big bright light is. And and over the years that I've been aware of it, anyway, I mean, in the early days, I know there was quite a lot of European influence in the in the in the early in the seventies. But in the modern era, when you when you look at motocross and supercross in Europe, it's mainly been, of course, Americans. But then the, the other bright lights that have popped in it over the course of time are, are French and Australian guys. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Why can't and, it be and, Canadians, Craig? Why why can't it never be Canadians? <laughs> you tell me. God damn it! I'm always I'm always <laughs> like wondering like why what is Canadian? When does Canada get its its uh its top? Well, we had some sad a great Canadian just we lost a great Canadian just the other day. We're, Gordon Lightfoot. Oh yeah, you know, you know Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm legend. a huge fan. Legend. Uh, <laughs> he is a legend. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you did your time in the U.S. You you were a team manager, advisor, or something for Yamaha Troy back in in 2002. I imagine you were still running your team. Uh, Chad was that was his debut rookie year. Over. How did that come together? Like obviously Chad was riding for Degroot and and got second in the World Championships, and comes to America. Uh, how do you get looped into staying in America all year? It's a it's a funny story, and I'll start from the beginning. Yeah. So the year, whatever year it was, I can't remember now. So the year before Chad went and rode Factory Kawasaki in Europe, okay. to I think that was ninety. He was riding. Yeah, yeah, he was riding for us here in Australia. Okay, and then he he wanted to always get to the US. Chad did, and I believe he was talking to a team at that time in the US and. You might you might be able to help me with this. Was it Planet Honda? Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, because Kib- Kibby would have been there, right? And uh, so that could have been Planet Honda. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it might have been that team. I'm not sure, but it was a you know, sort of a new team. And and I and I sort of said, well, if you've got a factory Kawasaki offer in Europe to do the Grand Prix, mm-hmm. to my way of thinking, go and do that because once you're in with the factory, you're then part of the system. You know, you're in. Yeah. You're you're one of the big boys and. 
he did do that, and because he did so well, I believe he was runner-up in the World Championship that mm-hmm. year. Yep. Uh, that sort of put him on the world stage, and all he started to do then is started making some noise about going to America. And at that time, Eric Kehoe was a team manager of Yamaha Troy, all right? Yep. So Eric actually hired Chad. It had nothing to do with me. And then, then, then about a month or two after he's hired um, Chad, Eric left Yamaha Troy after all these years yep. and went to Honda as a team manager. So lo and behold, and I knew none of this, lo and behold, I was just on the phone talking to my good buddy Steve Butler, who yep. you know, yep. uh, who, was a, who then was more involved in Yamaha US's racing mm-hmm. um, program, where he's now you know, the, the boss of R&D yep. over there in the US. So I was talking to Steve Butler just coincidentally, and we got talking about Chad signing for Star Yamaha. Then he said how Eric Kehoe had just left really late in the, that year, like November or something like that. And they were looking for someone to sort of run the Yamaha Troy team. And I just said, I'll do it. You <laughs> and, said uh, <laughs> Yeah, just, just flippant like that. And I said, I'll, I'll give it a go. Why yeah, not? Yeah, right. I need to change. So the next minute I knew I was on a plane heading over to the US in sort of late Late or mid December, it was. You wanted so, to run two teams in two countries? That's what you really wanted to do? Yeah. No, I just said yes. And then the next minute, I was doing it. <laughs> and I kept running the team here. So, with the time difference, I would go home from work at Yamaha Troy. Mm-hmm. And then in the nighttime, um, I would run stuff here in Australia. Um, but it was, a, it was a baptism of fire, I can I tell bet. you that. Because I, I, bet. I didn't get there until sort of mid-December and Anaheim 1 was early January. So I only had a couple of weeks to sort of get the feel of things and, and it was a blast. I mean, I only lasted two years because it was, so I had to make that decision either way, whether I just commit to the US full-time uh-huh. um, or, or focus just on Australia. Um, the thing I, I did miss, um, why I didn't choose to stay in America it was great and it was big and it was spectacular, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't my team, so it didn't have the same feeling as is my own team in Australia. And right. I just get homesick. I miss being at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Right? Um, was Phil Allerton? Was he okay then? I know he, he struggled with a lot of substance yeah. issues, but was Phil okay, or was it a bit of a mess? Yes, yeah. He, he, yeah, he was really good. Okay. I heard about everything prior to me getting there right. and all that sort of stuff. Um, and through the period with the Chad Reed time I was there, you know, he was all good and everything was, was great. Uh, and then I started to see some signs of deterioration and then I kind of yeah. left and then I heard it sort of started yeah. to, to, you know, things started to get worse for him and consequently the sadness of his passing. Yeah, yeah. it was it was too bad. I, I was at Yamaha for three years then working for a ferry and uh, the last year was just, yeah, it was just like Phil – Phil couldn't hold together. A lot of decisions couldn't be made. And YOT, which was such a strong program for so long, and you carried on with Eric, uh, you know, Eric's torch and yeah, had success, yeah. it started just going downhill, right? So, um, Yeah, but it, through, through that time too, part of the reason why I ended up at YOT because of my relationship with Butler and, and Keith McCarty and mm-hmm. Mike Gear and all those guys, they all knew me and we knew each other. So they, 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 they sort of um, – the ones that laid the path for me to go to Yamaha or Troy. So throughout that period, although I was sort of running the team or whatever mm-hmm. I was doing on a day-to-day basis, a, a lot of that too, I was part of the 
the, the Yamaha connection to Yamaha or Troy as yeah. well. You know, so did any of Chad's success surprise you? He lost one round in Supercross. He, you know, he was he probably would have won the national championship. If he wasn't up against you know Bubba Stewart. Um, any of that surprise you? No, 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 no. no. I always knew he's a special one. Yep. And uh, and that, it was interesting because he he was there learning just as quick as I was. You know, yep. I'm yep. I'm moving all those people all over America every weekend to. Diff- I didn't even know what airports you flew into and and all those sort of things. So it was a as much as a baptism of fire for me. It also was for him. And also on top of that, we were still running. We, we still had two one two fives and two two fifties four strokes. So yeah. we're on the cusp of that sort of it all morphing one two strokes completely going out, um, and and that created a lot of difficulties at the time because typical riders and I've been one one weekend he'd you know they'd have a great weekend on the two on the four fifty so then all the two stroke guys wanted two fifty four strokes sorry mm-hmm. and then then the next weekend they'd have a bad weekend on the four stroke and then they all wanted. Two strokes, you know, so <laughs> it, it was a real challenge when yeah. we had those, that mixture of two strokes and four strokes still going on. Not only, you know, your inventory with parts and all those sort of things, you had a lot of the dynamics going on about what bike was better, the two stroke or the four stroke at that stage. Yeah, I remember the same thing, right? And I, and I think there were a lot of riders that got on the Honda 450 or got on the YZ250F that had great results. And us watching, we were like, oh, maybe they're just awesome riders. And, and then sort of everybody got on four strokes, and we were like, oh, wait, they're that big of an advantage. You know, I don't know if we, yeah. we really thought about that. So No, no, it, it did take – it sort of took a couple of years, didn't it, for the, for the realization. I think Chad was still very much two-stroke orientated for a long yeah. time before he finally switched. But uh, it was good times, good memories. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Craig Dack. Thank you to the folks at Motorsport, motorsport.com. Go there. Go through the banner on Pulp Mex to help us out. Just click on it. takes you to Motorsport. Make the, make the purchase, and uh, it helps us out a little bit as well. Uh, OEM and aftermarket parts, street bikes, e-bikes, UTVs, and, of course, dirt bikes. Great prices, great return policy, free shipping on anything over 79 bucks. Guys at motorsport.com live and breathe the sport. They've been... Uh, Promoting it for a long, long time, doing some really cool videos and really cool uh, deals over there at Motorsport. The Pacific Northwest Company knows what's going on. So thank you to those guys and support them if you can. If you don't buy from them now, probably should look into it, man. They're great. Uh, thank you to those guys. Coba Links as well. You can get Coba Links at Motorsport.com or you can get it straight from Coba Links, K-O-U-B-A Links.com. Use the code PulpMX for free shipping and a discount. It's a lowering suspension link from everything from Aprilia to Yamaha. So if you're a shorter uh, person, uh, wife, girlfriends, not comfy on the bike, lower that thing with a Koba links. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Rent All and Maxis as well. And of course, Fly Racing, flyracing.com. Check them out. All right, back to Dak. I, uh, I remember him ro- dip riding 250s on the West Coast before he started East. And he was running fifth at A1 or A2. I was working for Nick Way that year. And I'm like, this dude's for real. I saw him at Paris on a Cowie stuffed Jeremy, right? But it's Paris. It's small. It's tight. Like, whatever. You know what I mean? And then when he was running fifth or something, one of those early West Coast races, I was like, holy shit, this guy's good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, How many yeah. years after I left? So he left yeah. Yamaha Troy and then went to the to the factory team. And how many years did he ride a two-stroke? Can you remember? Was it just one or two uh, years? Th- Three that was around years. the same three time years. as Ferry, right? Yeah, three years. Three, yeah. Uh, oh, three, oh, four, oh, five. 
and 06, he switched to a four stroke. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was one, of, like you said, you're in that, in the, you're in that range of, uh, of, of, of trying to figure out which works better. And then, you know, nobody wanted to stall the four stroke back then. <laughs> Stalling it was the, was the kiss of death. That's right. right. Remember yeah. the hot start button yeah. and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So for you, no surprise at Reed's success. Like you're just, yeah. You saw it coming. No, no. He, he's always been a strong-minded kid, even when he's with me. And, yep. you know, he, even when I worked with him with Yamaha at Troy, like a lot of the great athletes, you know, they they give a lot back, but they require a lot of work too, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I know, right? Yeah, Chad so, required a lot of work. That's, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. That, he, he did. He did. We, we, and our relationship has got better over the years. He, and unfortunately, he's, his father just passed yeah. away about a week or two ago. So I uh, saw that. Uh, yeah, so oh. that was that's very sad. I was very close to his mother and father because they were pretty much when I was living in America working with Chad, I was sort of the the meat between the sandwich. So I, I got very close with the whole family. So, but the, the nice thing is, after all these years later, Chad and I have uh, well, we always been good mates. We, we seem to be getting better and better as mates as years go go on. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're back into a, um, a a a boon for Australians with the Lawrence brothers. Let's uh. Let's get in the time machine a little bit and talk about your career, uh, a great career uh, on the bike. Um, I imagine, I mean, you, you did the World Championships one year, right? Yeah. So that was in 1989. Okay. And I just wanted to do it. I didn't. I had a deal through Yamaha England, mm-hmm. which was called Mitsui Yamaha then. And the guy that was in charge of the team and my team manager was Roger Harvey. Okay. Oh, who, I know Roger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who Roger is the guy now? It's he is yeah. the HRC guy for the World Championship. A team. Hell of a guy too. Great guy. Great guy. <laughs> great guy. So I did that for one year because I just wanted to do it. The best places I, I the best place I had I had a couple of fifth place overall. That was through the John Michelle Bale era. Yeah. I was also a test rider for because Gary Ben, who still works, we still work together now. He was pretty much running all the Yamaha factory racing team over there. Um, so I, I then became a test rider over there and, and continued on for a couple of years after that test riding. But yeah, I just didn't have the back then. You do three or four flyaway races to I think Venezuela and a few of those countries, America. And I couldn't afford budget-wise to go and do those rounds. So I ended up sort of 15th or something in the championship at the end of the year. But that wasn't with completing the whole series. And things were a lot different back then. You didn't – you had your factory teams Mm -hmm. um, and you might have two or three riders in those factory teams. Then underneath that, there wasn't really support programs or second-tier level teams. They were – Riders that were doing it below factory teams like me were probably riders supported out of out of a country like England or something yeah, like that that yeah. would allow them to go and do the world championship. Where and and the difference between a production bike then and factory bike was a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember yeah. that. Where, yep. where now, I mean, the there is no real factory bikes anymore. If you know what I mean, you know. So yeah, there's nothing nothing that special. They're they're made. A lot of parts are made. Right in America, and yeah, so C- correct, yep. yeah, correct. So I mean, it's still, I mean, the factory team is is obviously better to be on, mm-hmm. um, but back then it was uh, the, the the gap was a lot bigger. Uh, so yeah, I did that, in, enjoyed that, but mostly raced in Australia, and then took off at the end of each season and went and did your Paris races and Geneva sure. and all that sort of stuff, you know. 
So in a in effect, like I imagine, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's Glenn Bell, it's you, it's Jeff Leesk. You guys are going at in Australia, going after the Mister Motocross titles and all that. Leesk leaves, like you said, in '86, right? He becomes a privateer and then a factory Yamaha rider, and then he goes to Europe and all of that. Was that your point to leave? Like, if you had to, if you had to look at sort of the, your career and the prime of it, should you have left a little earlier and 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 you know and done what the Lawrences did or did what Jeff did? Yeah, but the world was a bigger place then too, Steve. Yeah. You know, that Leesk and myself by doing that, was we were sort of pioneers, you know. That wasn't – it wasn't the norm, you know. It was a lot more – I shouldn't say I, – I, I don't like comparing eras because every era has its own difficulties. Mm -hmm. But the world was a, was a bigger place then. Um, you know, now you get off – if you fly to Europe now, you don't have to go and get your American traveler's checks and put them in your yeah. wallet and go yeah, and yeah. change the money when you get to the other end because you've got ATMs. you got a phone when card. When you got off the you got plane. you got a phone card, all that stuff. Yeah, you got uh, GPS and not, not, a, not a map. And it was, it was a, a much more difficult place. Mm -hmm. So I, it was more for me – I was happy just to do what I did but then just focus and just stay down here in Australia. Yeah, it was. It's it's a it's a big decision, right? And also, you know, I look at it like uh, you know the Canadian guys too. Going back to that, like some of them make a comfortable living in Canada, and it's what they want, and they venture out here and there. But to sacrifice all that, like say Jeff did, right? I mean, Jeff just showed yep. up the Golden States, and I, from what I understand, Mitch Payton took a liking to him, and and you know, kind of helped him. But I guess maybe in your eyes too, like you're making a comfortable living, and. Yeah, it's just one of the decision to that's make. That's exactly right? that's exactly what it would have been. But yeah. by nature, I'm quite conservative. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty determined by nature, and uh, I'm, I work hard. So all those all those things have been there. But I'm pretty conservative, and you're dead right. I was making a, a, a better than decent living here in Australia. Mm -hmm. So to to risk that and sacrifice that potentially, I just didn't have that mindset. So so I just knuckled down here and and did what I did. But it it's had a a long-term positive effect for me, I think, yeah. by staying in the sport as long as I have. Yeah, you could definitely make that case. Were you and Jeff? Were you guys like not speaking rivals? Was it was it ugly, or were no. you guys buddies, or the whole time? We were buddies. Okay. When I was doing, see, when I went to Europe in '89, yep. he was he was factory Honda guy. Mm -hmm. He was doing the 500 500s, World Championship, yeah. and I was doing the 250. So back then, that's when all different classes were on this, uh, uh, weren't on the same day. Mm -hmm. Remember, so the yep. 500 Grand Prix might have been in Switzerland, and yeah. the 250 might have been in France. Yeah. So we would, we would, um, and then I would go to Belgium quite a lot, where Jeff was living, because that's where Yamaha Racing was based. Uh -huh. And we would hang out and go riding and okay. go and have so, some yeah. fun nights. So and, never, you know, yeah. So, Never, uh, never, be, never became like heated rivalry or nothing between you guys. Never, no. We've always had a good, good relationship. Even, even in our post racing days, when he took on the, the role at KDM here mm -hmm. in Australia, and he had his race team, we were always stealing riders off one another, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. we always did it with we. We never, we never crossed, we never crossed the line. We've always stayed good friends and never got each other offside. It's, it's a oh, nice relationship. That's awesome. And think about it, just rivals now for 40 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should at least have one argument at some yeah, point. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> I always admired him. He, he, you know, like you said, he left Australia. He goes to America. He, he battles hard. He, he becomes a factory Honda rider. He gets like third overall in America in 88 and just goes to Europe. He's like, screw it. Yeah. I'm going to Europe. Like, yeah, yep. crazy. Yeah, uh, no, no, he... 
he, he's a quiet spoken guy, but a, a, a bit of a smiling assassin. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, he, he he has a very strong resolve. That's for sure. Right. Um, I want to talk about a guy named Eddie Warren. He, I did, I finally found him like two years ago, and I did a podcast with him, and it was hard to get a hold of him. He 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 lost his factory carrier ride here in the U.S. and he went to America, and or went to Australia. Sorry, and he just started racing and. He stayed down there. He still lives down there. He's got an Aussie accent now and everything. What do you remember about Eddie Warren showing up like in 88? Yeah, that's right. Well, he, he, that was interesting because he, we had a strong little series, Supercross series back then called the Supercross Masters. Yeah. And that was because Australia kind of started building indoor stadiums. Up until that, Australia didn't have many indoor stadiums. They only had outdoor mm-hmm. rugby league stadiums or AFL stadiums. Uh, then we started building these small entertainment centers with roofs on them. So we started doing this series called the Supercross Masters, which is like your arena cross or the yep. arena cross over there, about that size. And Eddie Eddie was a factory Cowie guy um, in the U.S. at that time. And he came out and just did a few mm-hmm. once-off, you know, like Paris sort of got paid some money to come out and do it. And he fell in love with the country and – and fell in love with our series. And I remember having a chat with him at one point and just said, what, why, why are you doing this? Why are you sacrificing yeah. you know, what you're doing over there? And he, he said he, he just couldn't handle the pressure cooker atmosphere of the U.S. Um, yeah. racing scene. And he found Australia just that happy little medium. Him and I became quite rivals. We, we became uh, non-talking rivals okay, for yeah, a period. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then, then he ended up going to Japan, I think, and doing yeah, yeah. the Japanese championship and, and was a test rider for Kawasaki for several – that that was a bookend to his career. What was the what was the story? So obviously Glenn Bell was a motocross – Australian motocross legend, and I think you crisscrossed with him a little bit at one point. What was the deal with the Mr. Motocross? Was that like just the most points overall on the year, all classes or yeah, something? Yes. So- okay. That was a that was a so back in the day our national championship or our Australian championship motocross rounds were always just on one day one weekend okay of the year, and you would ride the one twenty five two fifty and five hundred over yeah. the weekend so it was a bit bogus yeah. then then we ha- but outside of that we had this six or eight round Mister Motocross series which that that was that used to make headline news it was almost like a national sport that series it was. And that, as a kid, that was the series that you wanted to win. Oh, it okay. Was, so it, that was more important than the other one. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. it. That was Australian Championship. Was this? Yeah. If you if you did that and you won it, great. But it was Mister Motocross that yeah, you everybody aspired to from the mid from the mid seventies to the mid nineties or early nineties, I would think, or late eighties. So, so that was on the day. That would be four back to back races, twenty minute races. So you do one moto, come in. Back to the starting line. Uh, it was ten minutes break, and then you do the second one, and so on for the third or fourth moto. So it was quite a grueling series. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I won four of those um, in a row, and there's only me and Stephen Gore, another champion just before my era. Yeah. Who who has won four of those as well? I'm sure Lee would have won a lot more, but he he took off and went overseas. Right, right, okay. So that's the story by that. I never quite knew if it was just yeah, that, that, based on the that motocross was the series. prestigious okay. thing to win. Yeah, sure, yeah. right. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it's uh it's interesting to see that. Uh, by the way, Fly Racing Racerx podcast with uh, Craig Dack, presented by Maxis Renthal uh, Motorsport.com and Cobo Links as well. A few more. Questions for you, Dacker. You got time? You good? You still good? Yeah, buddy. Okay. Keep going. Uh, so you never did any U.S. Supercross or motocross races, but 
And when I was going through old cycle newses for different stories and articles over the years, you did do some Golden States. You showed up uh, before the year to, to yeah. race a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, when I first started coming to the States, there was a bunch of us that used to come to the States in the early 80s, and we used to spend sort of three months there or two months there just getting ready for our season here. Yeah. Because back then, you could – I used to come and I used to stay with Goat Brecker. Oh, okay. That. Yeah, Goat Brecker. So Goat and I – I haven't seen much of him recently, but he, he was a factory Kawasaki yeah. guy in that time. How'd you meet him or how'd you know him? Just by coming out to America, okay. we, we, we bumped into him at one of the races at – Corona or, yeah. or Saddleback or something like that. Then we came, became friends. So every year we come out, we'd stay with him. Now back then, you could you could race. I think it was Ascot on a Thursday night. Yeah. At in LA, then you can race Corona on on the Friday night. Then you can race either Saddleback or three ninety five or someone like that on the Saturday. Yeah. And then there'd be something on Sunday too, a Saddleback three ninety five yeah, or, yeah. or Carlsbad or whatever. So we could race four times a week, and you made enough money—a couple of hundred bucks here and a couple yeah, of hundred you're bucks just there. Yeah, you racing in the American cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but back then, that's when the Australian dollar and the US dollar were were even. So yeah, it's a good point um, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but but. Um, but so that's how, and then then throughout that time, the, you know, the Golden State Series was sort of happening or going, and we'd pop in and do a, a few of those rounds, you know, when we could. Yeah. But I, I do remember mainly the rounds at three ninety five or Sunrise. I think yeah, Sunrise. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that, so that, I never did Supercrosses or AMA Motocrosses because back then the licensing was a lot different. Okay, you. I, I believe, if I can remember rightly, you couldn't sort of take on a, a, a an AMA license or get released from your Australian license to do a race and then, then get your, your domestic license back again. You had to forfeit a license for the year. Oh, it was a lot okay. It was a lot more yeah. complicated than it is now, that's right, right. for sure. So you'd come to America and do those and, and yeah, and hang out and, and, and enjoy the sunshine and and head back. Yeah, interesting. Well, just yeah. just the intensity of racing. I mean, some yeah. of those any any people my vintage that remember those days at Carlsbad or Saddleback, mate, it was it was it was competitive. No, you know? you'd, R- RJ would show up. All the factory guys would be there. Yeah, it was nuts. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Mark Barnett and, and Goat Brecker and you know who there was all sorts of guys. Chuck Sun. I remember. Yeah. I was only reading an old scrapbook the other day in 1985. I did a race here in Australia, and we had Chuck Sun, Goat Brecker, Mike Bell. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, Daryl Schultz. Yeah, yeah. Was a, <laughs> that that was a, came out, and, and uh, we, we were beating them guys in some heat races back then. So we, yeah. Australians always had pretty good Supercross guys. Yeah, for sure. So any regrets you didn't give an America a try like Jeff or like any? No, know? not really. No? no, not really. It was, you know, as I said, the times were different. Things were different, and I, I – I made my choice. I came from yep. a pretty humble upbringing. You know, the family, there wasn't uh, a bunch of money uh, as a safety net back there. Not that you should think of that, but there was that component to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a journey in Australia and I was traveling okay and I felt comfortable to stay there and not, not do anything else. Right. So you mentioned Bercy and, of course, that MXDN I want to get to as well. You had a couple of great ones there. And and Geneva and all that. Did you get to know like Wardy and RJ and these guys? Like, did you get the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. All that era. Yeah, we used to. So we used to go. I don't know for about three or four years. I think it was at the end of the year we'd go and do Paris Supercross, and then usually yep. you'd all sort of hang out and then go to Geneva, which is usually a week later. Then 
Then we'd pile into a bus after Geneva and go over through the Italian Alps and go and do the Genoa yep. rat race, which yep. was in Italy. Yep. So yeah, we all sort of got to know each other and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of kind of a neat, right? Kind of kind of cool for you to to watch those guys and and be around them and race them and sometimes beat them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not uh, always. Sometimes. Not always. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I was watching. I mean, it, 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 I was always about. If you put me in a, if you had to sort of put me at a level where I was in the in America. At that time, I was always about the level of uh, Eric Kehoe. Yeah, so five to ten guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, if he came to Australia, mm-hmm. we or we'd go to Geneva. Yep, we'd always be battling. We'll be sure. battling for the win here in Australia, or we'll be battling for fifth or sixth place in Geneva or, or Paris. Right. You, know? uh, you had a great MXDN in Majoria in '86, the the, the the American sweep. Uh, you had another good one, I think, in France another time. So, what are some of the this nation's moments that stand out for you? Yeah, they're, 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 they're certainly highlighted memories for me, uh, what I can remember. Because, um, uh, you know, I represented Australia six times, um, which is a feather in your cap just to do that, six consecutive times. And uh, that race in Majora in 86, which was – the 86 was the standout year of my career. It's when I sort of signed that Honda contract mm-hmm. and things took off. And, you know, that, the, I remember the first moto – um, I had a problem with the rear brake, and wherever I finished, I can't remember. Yeah. But the last mode of the day was 500s and 250s, and I think I started off the the second row because back then you used to have two yeah. rows. Yeah. Starting line. And and if you watch the and, videos, it's just it's like 60 guys. It's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's it was such a famous event, and I didn't we didn't realize that at the time. But as yeah. time goes on, it's it's stood out as one of the most prestigious events ever. And and I was just on fire that day in that last race. I remember coming through and I think uh, David Bailey was in the lead on the 500 and Ricky Johnson was second on the 250. Then Dave Thorpe was on a 500 who just won the world championship. Mm-hmm. And I was closing in. I think the Americans had gone out a fair way, but I was closing in on Dave Thorpe. And, yeah. Um, and pretty much the last lap, I, I I got to him, but but didn't get around him. So I finished like right on his back wheel on yeah. the two fifty. Which yeah, again, he's on a five hundred on a hilly track, right? So yeah, yeah, that's when uh, the if you remember the Honda five hundreds back then too, they were full factory bikes. Yeah, and they were just uh, yeah another level. You know, were um, you and that? You, I know from being uh, the Team Canada stories from back then. You guys probably weren't even shipping bikes in the mid eighties. You were probably bringing handlebars and suspension. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly, and we got some right. some local bike shop right, right. spare bike, and we did it all up. And yeah, but that's just how it was, and it was all good times. We were just all happy being there, you know. Yeah, Glover filled in for Bailey in '84 in Finland or somewhere. Uh, remember, it was motocross and trophy for a couple of years. It was different. That's right. right. That I was the era just after. Just that. after yeah. that. So Glover shows up. The bike's got stock bars and stock grips, and he just rides it. Just rides it. No crossbar pad or anything. It's just like that's yeah, how it was. Glover was such a <laughs> such a talented rider. He he'd be able to ride a lawnmower fast. Yeah, probably right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it's incredible though. So Dakar, you talk about that the Majoria, and you talk about Leesk and yourself, and I think there was a guy named Peter Melton that was pretty good, and and there's yeah. some different guys in Australia that were always really good. It's incredible that uh, the, the only Australian podium was you know with Reed and Burner and Metcalf there. Like it just it should have happened a few times. I feel like. It should have. We up. I always had that joke with Reed because, I mean, the team. I think you mentioned uh, whatever year it was. It might have been nineteen eighty eight. I think yep. when we finished um, fourth in in, in France, France in motocross yeah. nations. Yep. Uh, I think we equaled third, but on a countback we ended up fourth. 
and we held that 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 was Leesk, myself, and Bell, I believe. Okay, and we held that for twenty on years, and I used to always drive that into the <laughs> every nice, year. Nice. You know, yeah, yeah. We still got you, mate. You can't do it, but unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, he got one. He got one better on us. They made the podium one year when he was on the team. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, it's it's phenomenal that they. Because you guys were so good for so long, right? It finally sh- should have happened earlier. So Yeah, I agree. Yep. You, and so I'm guessing Majorio was your favorite MXDN appearance just because of that ride? Yeah, it was. Yeah. That, it, I remember one in Sweden, a place called Vimmerby. I yeah, don't know Vimmerby. my result. That was like 91. Yeah, I just remember that was just a nice setting and a good event. Yep. And, so, and it was always, as I said, because the world was a bigger place. So it was a big adventure for us, you know, going yeah. to Sweden going to Italy or whatever. But, uh, yeah, certainly Majora was the standout one by far. So you were injured for Manjumup in 92? Yeah, so I was selected oh, for that. Damn. And that 92 yeah. was my last year. And I, I got selected, but uh-huh. out of respect, I pulled out because I didn't feel like I could do the best. Yeah. Um, so that, so that, that's not a disappointment really because I was kind of – I was ready to get out of the sport then. <laughs> okay, and yeah, yeah. As a rider, and I was talking to someone the other day about that. Back in those days, um, you know, it was about twenty-eight years of age. Twenty-nine was about the time you retired. Yeah. Now they're set, yep. they're getting a lot lot older. Dude, uh, there's an retirement. old there's an old Supercross race that I watched not that long ago, and they were talking about Hannah just being old as dirt, being the you know the, the a veteran. He's he's going to hang it up soon, and he's twenty-eight. That's it. That's it. I, I, I mean, RJ and Ward, if you look back, yeah. all those guys were yeah. in their 27, 28 yeah. years of age. Yep. Yeah. Stanton yep. was Stanton was done at 25. Just, yeah. I'm out, there you, you know? go. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. So when you, like you said, okay, so I was going to ask you if the team opportunity was a reason why you quit but or retired, but no, it really wasn't. You were just kind of over it. And then, so how do you transition into running a team? Like the, because you're riding Yamahas and you're, you're a great ambassador and a great rider, are they like, hey, do you want to do a team? Like, you just go right from hanging up, hanging up the boots to being a team owner. Well, see, back then in, in Australia, I was I was for a couple of years there, here and there, I was sort of doing my own deal anyway. So I'd get money from the manufacturer, uh, and then put all my own deals together, then and then hire a mechanic and bought a truck, and so back then in Australia, we. It, we were we were sort of half doing all our own deals and everything anyway. Okay. Yep. So it kind of was a natural progression, and because I'd been with Yamaha for so long, apart from those two years, and also at that time that was through the era of the cigarette money. So Philip Morris, which yep. was Marlborough, and then we went into Peter Jackson, and I had a really good relationship with the guys that were running the the Philip Morris the Marlborough the brand managers then mm-hmm. and they really pushed hard for Yamaha to not that Yamaha didn't want to they wanted to as well they wanted to keep me in somehow and then next minute you know I'm basically the team manager just like that so and, who's uh, the first rider you hire well the first who who was it it was uh, Ben Preece and okay. Lee Hogan and we won a championship in the first year okay. with Lee Hogan. I know Lee Hogan, I know the name. He came in Race America a and little that, bit. Yeah. But that was that was quite weird. That was really weird. <laughs> yeah. So one year you're they're your teammate and the next team you're their you're their boss. Yeah. So yeah. that was a strange dynamic and it took me a little while to 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 work out that every person's different and in, in, in individual, they don't always think the way you think. So I was still, for the first few years after I quit racing and done the team, I was still kind of riding the bike. If you know, yeah, what yeah, I mean. right, so, right, right. Yeah, you were still involved in that. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. uh, do you have a favorite um, 
like a supercross race you did like one where that stands out uh, as far as racing off-season stuff as a racer uh, no not really no. not really but we, i mean maybe well because i was I, I, in my prime in australia that's that series i talked about earlier yep. the supercross masters uh-huh. uh, i was i was at the start of that so that that I was pretty much the figurehead of that, and that's when that all took off. And that that was a period of five or six or seven years where we would fill the stadiums on a because only a small stadium, probably only ten mm-hmm. to twelve or fifteen thousand people. So some some weekends we would race Friday night, Saturday night, and do a a, a Sunday afternoon. Wow. So yeah, and it, it it made sort of mainstream news. It made. Uh, all sorts of television programs. So it really got the popularity of the sport really, really high. And, right. and because I was part of that, that's how my name became quite popular here in Australia. Okay, awesome. No, And uh, mm. at some point you had to have worn Go The Rat gear. Had to. Have. Of course I did. Okay, of course right, I did. good, good. Mitch Payton still reminds me of that every time I see him. Every time I come to the US and I see Mitch, right. he goes, how's that Go The Rat gear going? <laughs> <laughs> just the, as a as a guy reading the magazines, the MX motocross action and stuff, you're just like, what the hell are these guys wearing? <laughs> so, yeah, no. That, if you didn't have go the rat back in the day, mate, you, you, it wasn't worth being in the sport. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a, that's mm. a bold statement for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, that's that's great. Uh, it was always something that like I wondered, like, what is going on with those guys? But um, <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, we've we touched on many of the great uh, Australian riders for sure. Who's a uh, Who's a great Australian rider that should have done more, should have gone further? Anybody <clears throat> come to mind for you? You've seen them all, um, either as a racer or as a, as a team owner. Um, is there somebody you wish you that, you know, maybe would have ventured out to Europe or America? No, no, not, nothing that comes to mind because I sort of – I don't think like that. Everybody's yep. got their own, own little bit in life and – I don't judge anybody. So, no, I, yep. no I, sorry, sorry I don't have an answer for that one, but no. <laughs> Best race bike you ever had? I saw a photo of you with a sweet blue and yellow YZ250. Uh, yeah, that, that's the one I'm thinking. I've still got that bike now. That was probably that's the bike. That's the last bike I rode okay. um, in 1992. It was a YZ250. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of when I was sort of test riding for Yamaha um, Japan. That mm-hmm. was sort of the end of my. So I had a lot of special parts on that bike. Oh, okay. And it, it had. Yeah. Uh, even now, it's got a set of Olin's forks on it that back then they weren't actually a production set. There was only about three or four of them made in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I've still got those forks on the bike, and, and that was part of a testing program that I was doing for Olin's. Oh, okay. Who, who had a relationship with Yamaha at that time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, probably that bike, my 1992 YZ250. All right. Favorite track in the world? Best track you've ever raced? Probably Majora. Really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 probably. Just the atmosphere when we turned up there on that weekend and the whole place, if you look back at any photos before any bikes went on the track, it was yeah. just completely grass. Yeah. And um, and coming from Australia, it was the first time I'd been to Europe and I remember I think out of the second turn, you kind of go through the first turn and wind your way up to the top of the hill. Yep. And then and then there was this drop off, and we all stood at the top of the drop off and looked down and went, "Oh my god!" You know, like yeah. The Grand Canyon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I that, I went to the destinations that was there, you know, whatever five seven years ago or whatever, and uh, yes, I couldn't believe the steepness of those hills. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And for us being from Australia, I mean, we had a few tracks that have got some hills, but nothing like that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we, we were all just blown away. Right. Right. Um, 
Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, thanks for the time, Dak. I really appreciate it. Uh, congrats on a great career on and off the bike and 30 years of CDR or whatever it's been and uh, World Supercross and Australian stuff. Uh, yeah, man, it's a real nice legacy, right? Yeah, it is. Thanks. And thanks for talking to me. It's not, as I said, it's nice to keep in touch with everybody over there. So yeah, all the best, mate. All the best to you. I hope to see you at a World Supercross round. Uh, I don't know which one yet, but I want to make my way to one of them. And uh, yeah, thanks for the time on the Fly Racing. Mate, Race come podcast. down to the Australian one. We can go and have a beer with each I other. I know. I need to. Dude, yeah. whenever I look at my analytics for podcasts, my numbers in Australia are really strong. Um, yeah. I think people would really love it if I came down there. So I'd like to. Yeah. yeah, well, when you do that, come and say hello. Will do. Thanks, Craig. All right, buddy. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. Thanks for listening and supporting our partners. Don't change the air. Don't change the air.